It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. After sweeping successes in both Iowa and New Hampshire, former President Donald Trump seems to be moving even closer to securing his party's presidential nomination. However, his lone Republican primary challenger, Nikki Haley, refuses to back down, vowing to maintain the two-person race in her home state of South Carolina. She's got two losses and few opportunities left to gain momentum, so the question still remains, can she do anything to catch up to President Trump? Joining me again today is my friend, Jim Garrity. He is the senior political correspondent for National Review and co-host of the wonderful podcast, Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity, I listen to your podcast, Three Martini Lunch, every day. I don't know if our listeners do, but if not, they should. It's a great catch-up mid-afternoon. It comes at a really good time for me, especially in between America's Newsroom and The Five. So I thank you for that. Some great information. Wanted to get your take on where we are in the Republican primary contest post-New Hampshire with President Trump and this commanding and enduring lead, but Nikki Haley saying, I'm not going anywhere right now. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for uh, the kind words about Three Martini Lunch. Every time I look at our iTunes reviews, there's two things that people keep saying is how much they really love it and that it's short. Um, so if nothing else, we don't take up much of your Well, time. to be honest, I... One of the things I did with this podcast is kept it short for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, I think people don't want to hear me that much. But also, I find it really useful because I use this as uh, a way to brief myself on what I need to know for the week. And what I found is that because I try to keep it at this 30,000-foot level, it's great for a lot of different people who just want mm – -hmm. they don't need to know everything about politics, but they would like to hear from my smart friends about where they think things are so that they can keep up to date – and not have to get too in the weeds. Yeah, you trim out all the fat. And so yes. uh, trying to summarize the primary, look, Trump's going to win. I, I don't think there's really, you can have any, any scenario where Trump does not end up the Republican nominee in 2024 probably involves some sort of health issue. Um, I, I don't even see this scenario where it's unlikely we would get a conviction in one of these trials by the, before the convention. And even if we did, I think the Trump fan base would just say, well, we just love him even more. That's that's just how that's yeah. how much the deep state is afraid of him. So I, I don't see any scenario where, where he, the Trump yeah. base suddenly changes their mind and says, oh, I wish we still had you Santos around or something like that. I was just um, going to mention um, I have a really good friend whose name I won't say on the podcast who's worked in Republican politics for decades. And about three months ago, he and I talked and he said that all of a sudden, he had changed from believing that the Republican primary was up for grabs to now believing that Biden might not end up giving that speech in Chicago in August, even though it looks like Biden intends to. He actually believes the mm. uncertainty is on the Democratic side now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Biden, it is much more a question of if he is physically capable of. And if you've watched President Biden lately, you may feel like you have good reason to doubt that. But just quickly on, on Nikki Haley. She can determine what kind of victory Trump has. And, you know, I, I wrote something for this this other small publication in Washington I write for uh, called The Post. Uh, but I said that Nikki Haley should stay in, that, that we have been waiting for a primary in this Republic in the Republican Party for years now. 
we didn't have one in 2020. Um, and this is the first time really since spring of 2016, Republicans have had to say, hey, what do we think of Trump? Now, we know a majority say, yes, we love Trump. But you look at these first two cont- contests, Iowa and New Hampshire, a little bit less than half, you know, in the 40 percent range have said we want somebody else, you know, DeSantis and Haley in Iowa and Haley in New Hampshire. Now, that's not going to be enough to get her the nomination. I, I don't want anybody to get anybody's hopes up or or stir up any fears amongst the Trump camp, although they don't seem very, very fearful. Um, but I, I think that there are Republicans who want something besides this, who are not happy with what they're seeing from Trump and who are tired, want to try to move on to something. They deserve a voice to have their they deserve to have their voices heard, too. And it seems kind of silly to end a presidential primary after just two contests. So mm-hmm. I think she should stay until the end. I think she intends to stay through to the end. This may be Nikki Haley flying commercial from state to state. This may not be a very elaborate campaign uh, in, as the later contests uh, continue. Mm-hmm. But I, th- you know, in the end, she's running a media campaign. You, you just sit down and you do your interviews on the Sunday shows and you do your interviews with cable news and with programs on Fox and stuff like that. And you can run a fairly effect. You, there's not as much retail campaigning as the primary goes on. And so I don't think it's as time intensive. Um, you know, at Super Tuesday, nobody can shake enough hands, enough diners to compete in all 13 mm-hmm. states or, or 14 states or whatever it is. So uh, I think she could go into the Republican convention in Milwaukee with a whole bunch of delegates, not a majority. But that's a considerable amount of leverage and she can get primetime speaking slot or she can get whatever she wants out of this. Now, ordinarily, a candidate would say, ah, I want to be your running mate. I don't know. If, Nikki Haley now says she doesn't want that. I know there's been a lot of speculation about this, but Dana, I'll also point out, the last guy who was Trump's running mate had an angry mob chanting that yeah. they wanted to lynch him. So <laughs> and then it's, ran it's against him. Gig, <laughs> and then ran against Trump in the in the primary. Yeah. We're talking about Mike yeah. Pence, of course. I do think that in South Carolina, it's very interesting. A lot of people think, mm. well, if you can't win your home state, you can't go forward. Although there's a lot of people that haven't won their home states, right? If you think of Al Gore, he didn't win mm-hmm. his home state. Am I correct on that? Uh, that was, yeah, but that was in the 2000 general election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think he ever really ran for There was always rumors that Gore was going to run, but I don't think it ever uh, amounted to too much. Uh, Rubio is the one that kind of jumps to mind in 2016. But, you know, as you said, there's no law that says it. It's a little embarrassing, but then mm-hmm. you go on. Um, mm-hmm. Rubio himself, like, you know, won the state of Virginia. And was it like, was it Minnesota? There's like certain states are just kind of quirky and might end up, you know, uh, uh, voting Nikki Haley. But I think in most of these states, yes, yeah, she'll lose, but she probably won't lose with less than 30. Talk about quirky. What's going on with Nevada? Uh, OK. All right. So long story. I'm going to try to keep it short. They have both a caucus and a primary. Trump registered for the caucus. Haley registered for the primary. I, as I understand it, the delegates are determined by the caucus. Correct. So I don't even know if Haley has a way of like actually winning any delegates of this. She doesn't. <laughs> because it's this complicated. They, they set up the caucus because they wanted to make sure that Trump was going to win. But I think the RNC said you, you can't do that. So you also need to have a primary. But it's like a beauty contest primary. It doesn't actually de- you know uh, allocate any delegates. And the short answer is that because of this, Nobody's paying any attention to Nevada. I feel very bad for John Ralston, the comp- the, the mm-hmm. uh, very distinguished journalist out there who has a slogan, we matter. Well, in the <laughs> Republican primary, no, Nevada does not matter. All the attention is going to be on South Carolina. My last question on the Republican primary before I turn to Biden is, do you think Trump will start to just ignore Nikki Haley? That might be I, the I'm best sure. thing for him yeah. to do, because every time he goes after her, there's another swell yeah. of media in her favor. 
the way I began my answer might make people think that I th he will ignore her. No, I am sure he will not. I am sure he has advisors saying, Donald, stop, you know, that, that you're, you're on your way to the nomination. Turn your attention to the general election. Start making your case to the broader electorate. Stop fuming about this person who's losing to you. But as I think we saw on, on election night on, in New Hampshire, and I suspect we'll hear and we'll see on Truth Social, Trump really gets mad that anybody dared run against him and that he really feels like this nomination like is his birthright. It, this is, should be a coronation. And I think he resents the fact that she's, you know, not bending the knee. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Biden, because right. this past week we saw him with the second worst third year approval rating since Jimmy Carter. We have immigration as his biggest vulnerability, unless, and of course, the Middle East conflict where Iran backed, or Iran, uh, hit a U.S. base before dawn, sleeping quarters intended for maximum casualties and pain, killing three U.S. service members and injuring many others, and the horrors that come along with that. Where do you think the Biden team is right now? Well, I think the first thing that is abundantly clear is that this was never the plan, uh, particularly looking at the 2024 election. You can go back to 2019. You can find articles quoting Biden advisors, not by name, but on a background saying that Biden was going to be a transitional president, that he was going to be passing the torch. And I think the expectation among a lot of Democrats was that during Biden's presidency, we would gradually see Vice President Kamala Harris stepping into this position and Biden, you know, at, at some point saying, OK, I've served my time. It's time for me to ride off into the sunset. Vice President Harris, it's time for you to lead the party and lead the country. And that hasn't happened. And, you know, whatever you see this half-hearted attempt to defend Kamala Harris, I point out, Dana, that there's not a single liberal columnist who has argued Biden should serve only one term hmm. and Harris should run as the Democratic That's nominee. That's a good point. And if any of them believe she could win, if any of them believe that she could do it, they would do that. Mm -hmm. They haven't, which is an indicator that everybody knows She's probably about as close as you can get to a sure loser in 2020. Wow, that's a really good point. I'm going to yeah. take that away with me to the five and Steal beyond. It. Go right ahead. Yeah. One thing uh, that Jessica Tarlov said last week um, to me, and uh, this was on air, but just to, in case people didn't see it, as I said, if you had had, oh, because there was a book last week that came out that said that some people in the Biden camp wanted to choose Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, over Kamala Harris for the vice presidential candidate. And I asked Jessica Tarlov if she believed that if Gretchen Whitmer had been the vice president in the last three years on the Biden ticket, would Biden be running for reelection right now? And she said no, because yeah, they would uh, have yeah. had confidence that Gretchen Whitmer would be the new standard bearer and leader of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, now it's conceivable Whitmer could have gone into the job and done terribly. It, it's not a guarantee, but from what we've seen of her as governor, she seems to have. Look, you don't see her quoting haiku, Hallmark card, uh, you know, the the airy poetry, ma magnetic poetry nonsense. Uh, whenever you read a Kamala Harris remarks when she's speaking off the cuff. It feels like that the magnetic poetry where you just kind of put the words around. Oh, yeah, I love that. I actually love those. Uh, but that's what it sounds like. to, Or, or as people say, <laughs> Kamala Harris always sounds like a sixth grader who's doing a book report and she didn't read the book. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that well, there, are, there are fundamental issues and the issues are fundamentally the fundamental issue, you know, this kind mm -hmm. of circular 
trying uh, to get to that thousand word word count. Yeah. And uh, look, I think it, it's just very clear that they expect they, they, they believed uh, the Democrats believed that they had this rising star. There were various warning signs in her 2000, 2020 campaign. There were there signs in her Senate office that there was always this high rate of turnover, that there was uh, indecisiveness, that there was difficulty, that this was, you know, someone who once you took her out of her comfort zone um, was, was you know, that, that there was this always these, proje- these expectations projected onto her that uh, Kamala Harris, for whatever reasons you want to believe, did not live up to. I think you can also make an argument that the Biden administration, like whatever skills she have and, and she has and she was a prosecutor for a lot of years, they haven't really used her in a way that maximizes that by any stretch of the imagination. Traditionally, a vice president handles foreign policy for a president. And Joe Biden doesn't think he needs somebody to handle that. No, no, that he's the, he wants to do the foreign policy, even though. And traditionally, <laughs> the vice president handles negotiations with Congress. Yeah, that's. But Joe Biden yeah, thinks right. he's the best at that, too. Right? So it's true. So kind of this question of, yeah, what's left for Kamala Harris to do? And even though I, I do not think spectacularly highly of the vice president, I also do feel, like, oh, for example, she was not allowed to bring over most of her staff from the 2020 campaign or from mm-hmm. her Senate office. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are various other decisions where you can look at this and say, okay, she got dealt, she played a, band, a bad hand badly, but she was also dealt a bad hand mm-hmm. by the Biden team. Did you happen to see any of the pieces this weekend? There was one in the Washington Post and one in the New York Times about black voters mm. souring on Biden. Um, on the one hand, it was mostly black men that, that were interviewed in this article, not necessarily going to vote for Trump, but really disenchanted mm-hmm. with Biden, especially on the economy. And then on the the other story was disenchantment, especially in black churches with Biden's support of Israel against Hamas mm. and what's happening in, in Gaza. And I wonder about how much the Biden campaign is thinking about this problem that they have because President Trump doesn't need to win all of the black vote. He just needs Mm -hmm. to win a little bit more than he did before. Or if those voters choose to stay home or vote for a third party, that probably does end up hurting Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. And in a whole bunch of swing states, Georgia uh, in particular, the Biden campaign thinks it's putting North Carolina in play. I find that very difficult to believe, but I suppose we'll see how, how that shakes out. Um, wow, because the Trump thing, team feels very confident about North Carolina. Yeah, you know, like it was a close state, but it's all it, it, Republicans tradi- you know, traditionally win close in North Carolina in, in recent cycles. Uh, you know, very tough to believe that a weaker Joe Biden this time around will be winning states that he could not win last time around. But, you know, I suppose stranger things have happened. Right. Um, regarding African-American males, I, I the first thing that pops into my mind was when the radio show host Charlemagne the God mm-hmm. uh, attempted, you know, wanted to interview Biden longer. They hit the time limit. By I guess the the host did not believe that Biden had uh, answered some all of his questions and was hoping he would come back on the show. And Joe Biden put out that infamous line: ha, "Let me tell you, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black." And boy, oh boy, if there's anyone in this country who has dis- earned the status as the person who determines who's authentically black or not, it's Joe Biden, right? <laughs> Indeed. There's just this presumptuousness on the part of Joe Biden. I think mm. he really believes that African-American, African-Americans love him. Uh, South Carolina Democratic primary saved his campaign in 2020, and that was heavily built on uh, African-Americans in that state. A lot of it having very fond memories of the Obama presidency, uh, 
Um, but I think after three years of Joe Biden being in the job, African-American males feel like lots, just like everybody else, that they don't feel like life has been all that great under Biden. Mm -hmm. Primarily, I'm going to imagine a lot of this has to do with the economy, has a lot to do with prices, has a lot to do with the cost of living. And I, I think like there was a very sharp observation about Americans' perception of the economy. The Biden administration is going to spend the next year saying, hey, yes, prices are up. Yes, yes, thinking about, but look at wage gains. Look at how much wages have gone up over the past three years. Well, there's an argument about whether this actually is keeping up with the cost of living or not. But here's the other thing. If your wages have gone up over the past three years, my guess is the average American will say, yes, and I earned that. I didn't just get this because of Joe Biden's policies or what Joe Biden was doing in the White House. I had to work harder to get those grades. I had to do better at my job. I had to get that promotion. I had to get that graduate. All these things that people did to increase their wages, they feel like they did that themselves. They don't feel like Joe, but the higher prices at the store, oh, that's definitely the, the fault of the guy in the White House. Um, mm. So that's, that is a real deep economic cultural undertow uh, that the Biden administration is fighting. And I feel like they've underestimated the whole time. And I think their entire strategy has been, we're going to run on abortion, 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 and say Trump is the devil and that Trump will destroy this country and Trump is a dictator and, and all that stuff and hope that that's yeah. enough. And, and maybe it will be. We'll see. But boy, if I were an incumbent president looking for a second term, I would want to have a much stronger record than Joe Biden has right now. I could keep going on this one, but I will wrap it up. I did tell Hemmer the other day, I wish that we could bottle up how we feel right now about the 2024 election and how we imagine it's going to play out so that a week before the election, we can look back and go, oh my gosh, can you believe all this yeah. happened between now and then? So we keep that um, in order to remain humble. I have a yes January or no question. Been a long year. I saw a great meme the other day. It said, wow, I can't believe it's already the 45th of January today. <laughs> it, it does. If, if, you know, I mean, ben Shapiro's a rap god. Like, oh, day, yeah. He's pretty this, good, too. Some weird, say. Yes. Yeah. My, my last yes or no question. Can you help me? I, I'm asking people to help me put this rumor to bed. Do you believe that Michelle Obama is going to be the Democratic nominee for president in 2024, replacing Joe Biden on the ticket? No, but I will know. Wait, did you equivocate? Of, uh, <laughs> the, the number of people who believe it. I know. It's a little weird. It's, that, it's, that, like, it's too much. Because like, seriously, you don't just jump in at the last. First of all, like there's no mech. You'd have to have all the Biden delegates who will be at the the convention to say, yes, we're going to choose Michelle Obama over Kamala Harris. I mean, Dick or, Morris is uh, out there yeah. guaranteeing that this is going to happen, oh, which basically, well. if you click on that, basically you're giving him money. So think about that. Dana, folks. that's the author of Hillary versus Condi. I know. know I know. So, OK, uh, we will have much more Perino on politics coming up. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. And we are back with Perina on politics. Jim, I want to discuss the border bill that's out there right now that may, might be dead, I guess. President Trump saying, please blame me for killing the border bill prospects. I can understand where he's coming from. I also understand how the left is shaping this up to say, well, Biden mm -hmm. tried and the Republicans wouldn't help him. And it's a little bit galling, but that might be where the debate is going. Yeah. So first of all, put me down as one of those people who it, Republicans have said for the past three years, more than justifiably, 
that the circumstances at the border are a crisis, that they are a national emergency, that action needs to be taken now, that it cannot wait, you know. And then to be in this situation and to say, well, we might rather have the issue to run on. We really want this to be a big issue in 2024, November. Uh, we're going to we're going to kick the can down the road and we'll deal with this when Trump is president. First of all, like I don't like that at all, because one, you don't have a guarantee that Trump's going to win. No matter how the Senate races shake out, it's conceivable Republicans will control the Senate, but they're probably they're not going to have 60 seats, which means Democrats will have the filibuster and they'll be able to use that to block any legislation they don't like. And probably Republicans control the House, but I wouldn't want to bet my mortgage on that. But, you know, if they have 219 seats now, it's really close. It would not take much of a wave to lose the House. So like you're turning down the offer that's on the table now on the promise of something better existing a year from now. And I don't think that's a safe bet. That said, everything I hear about this bill being negotiated by James Lankford, the Republican senator from Oklahoma, apparently there's no border fencing in it. And I'm like, how do you not have, you know, Hugh Hewitt is like spitting hot fire over mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, that, that they, the limit is 5,000 per day. That still seems like a lot of people. The big win for Republicans is that these people get flown back to their home countries. It just does not feel like anywhere near what what yeah. conservative Republicans were expecting they were going to get out of this. And I, I'm, I am reminded of oh, probably back when you were White House press secretary, late Bush years. I don't want to bring back any traumatic. Oh, seven. OK, so they were trying mm -hmm. to work on an immigration deal. Yeah, it was 07. One of the issues on the table, and I'm pretty sure it was not the, the Bush administration that was touting this. But one idea was, well, we have illegal immigrants and they haven't paid income taxes. So we're going to require those to qualify for a path to citizenship. You had to pay back taxes on yep. three of the past five years. Mm -hmm. And everybody pointed out that U.S. citizens have to pay taxes on five of left. the past five years. Right. Why are you giving a better deal to illegal immigrants than you are to U.S. citizens? And that was one of the you know people. Obviously, there was a big backlash against that. I, I just yeah. see this as as being a, a rerun of that in which the, 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 the idea of what was acceptable to congressional Republicans was really wildly overestimated by the negotiators. And when Trump says, put the blame on me, I mean, he's going to get blamed either way. Yeah. So when he says that, he at least gets to say, I said, no, this was a bad deal. And he'll get credit for that from the people who would look at this deal and say, really, really, right. Lankford, this was the best, best, best deal. you can I, And then the other thing is strange is that um, from a communication standpoint, Biden puts out a statement after five o'clock on Friday mm. um, saying, I've always said the border is broken. And on Twitter oh, the next day, hasn't. it's like, are you, are you? He should tell the orcas. Like, how Sorry, dare you that. say that? Like, after yeah. like this three years, why do you think it's the number one issue in America? It's because you guys did nothing or you, you know, reversed yeah. the Trump policies. And then you have Langford put this out. But I mean, they don't do any, no one's doing any press conferences. No one's talking to the American people yeah. in a way that will well, give them an understanding because you might be able, you might disagree with how Langford got to the place where he is with the text that he has. But it would have helped him, I believe, if they had mm. done a press conference, not in the dark of night and not on Super Bowl or the pre-Super Bowl weekend, um, where you say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to explain to you where I, how I got here. Because the American people might say, well, I can respect your decision-making process. I disagree with mm. where you came down. But instead, yeah. now you have people saying that, that Langford, who is from one of the reddest states and who is one of the reddest senators, is some sort of liberal squish. That That's not right. That's not true. Mm -hmm. 
But the bill text, the way it comes out, makes them all look weak. The the process has been a black box, and and I have yet to see the text of the legislation. I I don't know if it's even out there yet. I haven't seen it either. The legislation itself is is a is a black box. Um, Hmm. Yeah, it's look. The Biden administration has made two really consequential decisions since coming into power in January 2021. The first was to not just you know to to do additional stimulus spending to recover the the recovery from COVID when the country was already starting to economically recover from COVID and the infrastructure bill and eventually turns into trillions and you dump trillions of dollars of new money into the economy without any equal number of goods being produced. And anybody who's watched DuckTales knows if you have a whole lot of money and the same amount of goods, the value of the money goes down because there aren't, you are producing goods at the same level. This is how you get create inflation. So the first thing is how, why do we have inflation? Well, a bunch of different reasons, but a big one was Biden and congressional Democrats threw a whole lot of money into the economy when there wasn't enough economic activity to go along with it. That's problem number one. And the second thing was, was that from the beginning of the Biden administration, like February or March 2021, when we started seeing those first wave of migrants, they insisted, this is just part of the normal seasonal pattern, folks. Don't worry, this is nothing out of the ordinary. And they ended up with this system that amounts to catch and release. Is the Biden administration policy open borders? No, but it's not as different from open borders as we would like. That basically a whole bunch of people get across the border, and a whole bunch of people say, oh, you've got an asylum claim. Okay, come back in the year 2035. <laughs> and, you know, most people look at that and say, mm, that's effectively open borders. You're letting people into the country and you're not enforcing our immigration laws. I think once DuckTales is quoted on Perino on Politics, we got to move on to the next segment. So we'll be right back right. with more Perino on Politics. And welcome back to Perino on Politics. Jim, my last question for you is, what are you paying attention to right now that I might be missing? Uh, okay, so um, I, I could make my traditional uh, conservative Republican complaint that no, nobody pays attention to the deficit and the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is going to come back and bite us in the butt. And entitlements, you know, I believe 2031 is the year for Medicare, particularly hospital payments. 2033 is for uh, Social Security. And if you don't do anything, you're looking at a massive across the board cut to Social Security. But hey, yeah, look out if you want to be Biden? president in 2028. <laughs> Yeah, I, I need, look, hey, there's only one more term for either Biden or for Trump. It's somebody else's problem. They'll be out of <laughs> office by then. Um, I, I worry about a China Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's totally, obviously it's been totally ignored, but uh, the consequences of that would be global. The economic consequences, that would be devastating. The challenge to American power, like, and it, it, this is the sort of thing, where, like the only way, you know, war games, the only way to win is not to play. The only way the U.S. and Taiwan prosper is if the invasion is deterred. We could theoretically you know, stop Taiwan from successfully invading, but by that point, the, the consequences and the damage is done, and it would probably be a bloody and expensive war either way. Um, and then thirdly, this kind of ties into my novel writing and other stuff that I like to, to think about. We have some really remarkable developments in technology, artificial intelligence, uh, quantum computing, hypersonic missiles, and we have a 70 guy who's turning 78 this summer and we have a guy who's 81 turns 82 after the election i do not believe that we have the best and the brightest before us right now mm-hmm. who are able to get their hands their heads around what these technologies mean and they could really be far reaching and consequential and, and i hope they have really smart top younger advisors who understand this stuff because you know i'm considerably younger and i can only i can barely get my head around it Probably a good way of putting it, Dana, is to summarize is that um, uh, you you actually, my dad still brags about the time at a book signing you hugged 
Tim. He brags <laughs> about that to everybody. Love my dad. He's 83, which is only a little bit older than Joe Biden is. And mm-hmm. I love my dad. I wouldn't want him to be president. Right. I think he can handle the clicker, uh, the remote control. I would not trust him with the button. Yeah. And that's how I feel about a lot of octogenarians. You know, I, on my way to work, to, and, and hello to your dad. Hopefully he's listening to this down there in South Carolina. Um, I email, I text with a lot of girlfriends. Uh, you know, we get our weeks going. Have a great week. Hope you're well, et cetera. Um, two of them this morning separately said it feels like the world is out of control. And hopefully this podcast can help people feel like, okay, well, on the political front here is what we know. But I understand where they're coming from. Because when Mm. you start to, I remember when I did the debate um, in uh, September, and we pulled together all of these different topics, right? You could pull, you could start with a blank slate, all the different problems in the world and in the United States. And then you narrow it down and you narrow it down. But when I think back to that big board and the things that were left on the cutting room floor, the things we didn't ask about, the big questions like what you were talking about in terms of what happens in 2031, which is not that far away, uh, Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of problems. The world feels very shaky. But I will also say that um, I do think that America remains this great beacon in the world. And it's why we participate in these politics. And I'm really grateful to have friends like you who can help me think it through. I was going to say, Dana, this is what you're what you're articulating there is why when someone tries to tell me, Jim, you don't understand, there's an evil conspiracy out there that controls everything. And I always just kind of smile. Oh, well, thank God someone's controlling these things. I know. Because everything looks really out of I control, know. right? Cigarette smoking man. Thank God you're here. Okay. Woo. Now I feel better. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I when, when Greg and I do our podcast, we, we joke that, you know, we laugh because otherwise we would cry. And it's very much this attitude of we want to reassure people. We want to tell you what's going on in the world and make you feel better about it. I think you do a, a terrific job of this on all your programs. Thank this you. kind of reassuring, level-headed voice um, that we need more of. And uh, the, I, the news. I still believe everything will be okay. Believe me. Or I, yes. I, I do. Um, okay. Here's the pop quiz. Are you ready? Okay. It's a multiple choice. So who was right. the first natural-born president of the United States? A, Martin Van Buren, B, William Henry Harrison, or C, James Polk? I would have no idea the answer to this. Okay. So I feel like I've heard this question recently. Okay. Probably probably around the time of Obama's birth certificate controversy. The idea of like, what was, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 having right. that Right. So I'm going to go with Polk, but I, I, I'm not, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, you gave me like three that are like, eh, they're, they're all in the right neighborhood. They could be any one of them, but I'll go with Well, it is actually Martin Van Buren, and I'll tell you a little Ah, background. He is the only president to learn English as a second language. He was raised in the Dutch community of Kinderhook, New York. So his first language was Dutch. Hmm. Ah, Who knew? Who knew indeed? I will also just let everyone know, I did an interview today that I think you'll really enjoy, Jim. It was with Jared Cohen. He is president of global affairs at Goldman Sachs, and he's written a new book called Life After the presidency. And he looks at seven presidents throughout our history and what they did after the presidency. And it is a fabulous book full of great little anecdotes as well. And his geopolitical knowledge about the Middle East is incredible. So that will be on the Fox News rundown uh, tomorrow, which is Tuesday, January 30th, as well as the Fox News rundown extra podcast this weekend. So when that comes out, I'll send it around, make sure everybody takes a listen. And Jim, thank you for being on Perino on Politics. I appreciate you. Thank you, Dana. Always enjoy it. And like I said, you are a 
uh, a much needed voice of reason, clarity <laughs> and understanding and empathy. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.